Can Audio. What's happening, everybody? Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Tall Can Audio podcast here in the studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. My name is Matt Robinson. We are on uh, social media at Tall Can Audio. Read into that what you will, as uh, social media seems to be in a bit of a speed wobble right now. But uh, wherever people are hanging out online, we probably are under uh, under the same handle. Happy to be welcoming back into the show today our good friend Dr. Vicki Forster is here. How's it going tonight? Hey Matt, happy to be back. How are you? I'm uh, I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. We talked a little off air there. It's winter now, so that's a bit of a bummer. But we're well into hockey <laughs> yeah. season. I know you're back into skating season, so there's there's little positives. But uh, yeah, the cold's always a bit of a a bummer. I do have a cold beer sitting in front of me here tonight, though. Did you bring one to the to our little chat? You know what I did, and it's it's kind of like a joke. Um, so I and this, please think, don't think I'm going to explain. I'm drinking a Molson Canadian. That a girl. <laughs> I'm a I'm one of those people who's actually uh, who will uh, who will happily put up with that. I grew up stealing Molson Canadians out of my dad's fridge, and I actually still do a right. fair bit. So I got a soft spot in my heart for Molson. Yeah, I can I can explain. Um, I think we're going to talk about it a bit later on the show. But I became a Canadian citizen like two weeks ago. And, Amazing. Uh, ha- had a, a little uh, outdoor celebration in Toronto <laughs> a little while afterwards because why not? Sure. Um, and uh, two of my friends who also know a lot better about beer, like they're very good beer people, bought me a can of Molson and told me to shotgun it. <laughs> now I could not, and I did not want to because I was in the bar, and that's you know that's not okay. <laughs> um, but I've been saving it for a special occasion, so I thought, what better time than now? <laughs> I love that. I'm honored that you've chosen to have that on our show. Uh, very Absolutely. symbolic. It's such quality all around. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, the one I got here is uh, is nothing new to the listener. I've had this a hundred times before because it is one of my favorites. Uh, and my parents were in town for a visit this weekend and uh, and brought me some of this uh, Calabogie Brown Cow Milk Stout. <gasps> yeah, it's that's it's a gorgeous beer. And uh, I think I the last time we so talked, much. yeah, you had just tried some Calabogie from somewhere, I, I believe. Yeah, I think that, that was a while ago, maybe a couple of years ago. I'm not sure, but yeah, I love I love that beer. I just I think it's one of the best beers in Ontario, and I don't even drink stouts that often. But that one, yeah, <laughs> I may, you know I'll, every time, every single time, I'll go for that one if I can if I see it. It's, uh, it is absolutely one of my probably top, top five anyway, favorite, uh, mm-hmm. craft beers. And I'm all about the stouts and this one, uh, is right there near the top of the list. So, um, yeah, happy to, uh, to get into that. Happy you're having a Molson. Why don't we talk about that first? You are now officially a Canadian citizen. Um, I am. that's amazing. How does it, you know, I want to ask you about the process a little bit, all that stuff, but just, you know. How does it feel? Do you feel any different walking around the streets of Toronto now, or was it just a technicality to get out of the way? You know, what, you know, what do you feel after going through the whole thing? Yeah, I think for, for me, it was, I was super happy when I got the email saying, you know, you're going to have your citizenship ceremony and, and you're going to become a Canadian. Partly because, you know, I live here now, I'm going to stay here. It's just really nice to, to you know, feel like, a, a, I guess, an equal part of, of, of Canada as sure. everybody else. But partly... My experience with Canadian immigration and, and citizenship has it's just been a stressful, long, expensive experience. And so I was just kind of glad to never have to do it ever again, if I'm completely <laughs> honest. Um, but yeah, no, it's a nice it's a nice thing. And, um, you know, for me, it's it's just a nice thing. But I also when I went to the, the Zoom ceremony, you know, you have to realize that for a lot of people, it's like their dream. Right. And it's very emotional. Um, and, you know, the ceremony itself was pretty emotional for me. But, you know, I'm not I don't want to be dismissive of, of, you know, folks who, you know, find it super, super important. I think for me, it was just kind of a means to an end. Um, but I am very glad to be here as well. Uh, what was the if you don't like what was the motivation to start the process? Like, is it just I'm staying here? I'd like to have a say and a vote. Or is it a, is there something more to it than that? Or for for me, um, because so I was a permanent resident before, and permanent residency in Canada gives you the majority of the same sort of rights as as a as a Canadian citizen. Mm-hmm. You know, you get healthcare, you get the right to remain for the rest of your life. Um, it you know some countries are a little different in that regard, but Canada I think gives you most of what you get from citizenship, but it does not give you the right to vote. Hmm. Um, and I you know living in Ontario. 
frankly want to want to vote. Um, <laughs> I have an and, opinion. <laughs> yeah, I have an opinion, and I pay taxes, and like right. I would like to, you know, have my say. And I, I believe very passionately in, in voting, um, and that you know it's it's bizarre during the citizenship process where you learn, you do tests, you learn information about Canada. They drill it into you that it's a responsibility to vote, and I find that very interesting because across the different like levels of Canadian government, I always find like it's quite a small number of people. Turnout is incredibly low often. Yeah. Yeah. But it's drilled into us like as new citizens that we have, it's, you know, we have a responsibility to vote in municipal, federal and provincial elections. So I I just found that very interesting Hmm. as a contrast because it doesn't seem that voting is that important to Canadians overall. No, it's interesting. I took some blowback on Twitter a couple of weeks ago when I said that uh, Doug Ford had won in a landslide and some a bunch of people got in my mentions and, and saying, you know, you only got such and such percentage of the population. Like if that's who votes and he gets that many more votes than any other party, it, what was the, it, it turned out to be only like 30% of the province voted or something horribly low Yeah, like and that. it was like 17% of the eligible voters actually voted for yeah. or something like that, or for the Ontario government. Yeah, I, I honestly have to say, and maybe, you know, coming from the UK and now being here in Canada, it may be some of its more challenging political times in, in recent uh, yes. recent years. Um, I, I don't, I, I think that's a moot point. Like, you know, it doesn't matter that only 17% of the province voted for him. The other people didn't turn up. Yep. That's right. Um, and for whatever reason, they didn't turn up. But, you know, the apathy towards voting, I think, if you look at, for example, the United States, there's a lot more going on with regards to voter suppression and gerrymandering. Yes. And the fact that you have to queue up sometimes for an entire day to vote. That is always um, the most mind-blowing thing when I watch their elections. The blocks and blocks of people lined up. Yeah. You get to walk doesn't in. happen here. No, you walk doesn't into a school in gymnasium and you're done in 10 minutes. And... Right. And so that, that to me, you know, the United States has issues sometimes which prevent people from reasonably voting i get that Mm -hmm. here at least where i am i don't see any of that there was none in the uk you can go and you take 10 minutes i used to go on my lunch break right and and do it and just be in and out in three minutes so yeah i find it a little jarring that so few people vote here and i yeah the whole thing about well you know what he only got elected by 17 percent of eligible voters over i think it's a moot point if you can't get people to go vote Mm -hmm. That that is a you know that's a thing as well. You know the the NDP and the Liberals in in Ontario didn't didn't get people to go vote in large enough numbers either. So that's right. We've we've got a general cross partisan apathy to voting in in Ontario at least. Fairly uninspiring candidates too, and yeah, it's uh, it's a problem. It's a problem. So yeah, I want to ask. I will be voting. That's (laughs) what we like to hear. All right. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about the process, just because it's fascinating to me and. almost in like a very TV sitcom kind of way. Like every sitcom that's ever existed has a foreign person come in and they have to take like this citizenship test. And it obviously these shows are mostly based in the US and there's a big mm-hmm. test on like the history of the United States and it's all stuff that no resident or person who was born there would be able to pass. And yet we hold, mm-hmm. apparently, uh, on TV in TV world, we hold immigrants to a much higher standard. So I'm curious <laughs> what the process looks like here in Canada and, and just how long ago you started, um, how long it would have taken if there wasn't a, a pandemic happening, what you have to go through, um, you know, what is it that you had to do to get something that was just handed to the rest of us because of where we were born? Sure. So I uh, I came to Canada in 2017 on a work permit, a two-year work permit, which was granted to me basically because I had a job in Canada lined up based on my qualifications. So there starts the process and you have to do all sort of things all sorts of things to get your work permit. This is a while ago now, so I can't super remember. Yeah. But I remember they, you know, I had to get various medical tests. So I had to have a chest x-ray to see if I had tuberculosis. Oh my God. Um <laughs> and then I had to have another one of those when I went for permanent residency. So I've had several chest x-rays just to check that, you know, this is so much more invasive. The first thing you brought up is so much more invasive than I could have imagined the process. Yeah, yeah, no, I just remember that because I'm thinking, well, great. I mean, it's not a lot of radiation, but I don't really want <laughs> chest x-rays, which I don't feel like I need and I have to pay for. Right. Um, so the work permit wasn't super, super uh, 
you know, challenging, I don't think. But the permanent residence, which is the next step, which allows you a right to remain in Canada for the rest of your life, was pretty intense, more so than the citizenship, actually. So for that, my favorite part of it was I had to do an English test. Oh, coming from England. So... <laughs> Yeah, you you have to show proficiency in either English or French, or if you're both, you get more points on the little point scale. Oh. Um, so I had to go uh, to a, a centre on Bloor Street for half a day to have my uh, English profici- proficiency tested uh, for the, the pleasure, pleasure for which I paid them $300. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and the, funny, the funniest thing about that was that uh, there were four different modules, reading, writing, speaking, and uh, listening. And they were all scored out of nine. And for each one, you needed a passing grade of seven. And I got full marks on all of them apart from writing, which I got a seven. So I just about got a passing grade. And considering I like people pay me to do like freelancing <laughs> freelance writing, I was a little taken aback by that. And I was talking about it afterwards with some friends. And they were like, well, what the heck did you do? And I think it's because they kind of scored it based on like which keywords did you use. And one of the questions, you had to write a letter to your boss explaining why you'd been late to work and why it wouldn't happen anymore. And so I was like, well, the reason that people are often late to work in the UK because the trains go on strike. So I was talking about the unions and the trains going on strike and saying that the union's going to reach a deal with the, the, the train companies. And so this won't happen anymore after next week. And I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think I overcomplicated it, obviously. They, um, they were looking for I slept in or I, yeah, you know, I don't know. It was supposed to be a page and it was a page, but I just was talking about the unions and the trains going on strike and apparently that wasn't okay. <laughs> so anyway, I passed, but even like they give you like a table of points saying, hey, you're in the pool to be considered for permanent residency. We all pick out, you know, point scores and people based on number of points they have. And it docked me points. My God. So, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think it made any difference overall, but it was quite funny at the time. So explain the points thing to me. Are these, you add up your points and it determines whether or not you're eligible or everyone's, you know, they, they pick the people who have the most points to become permanent residents. I think there's a bottom threshold. So basically they said don't apply if you don't have a certain number of points. And it's done on all sorts of things. So it's done on English and or French proficiency, um, education level, uh, whether you have a a relative in in Canada already, Mm -hmm. because uh, they know that um, I think if you have a relative, you're more likely to succeed here as a person and things. So it's not all done on like qualifications and things, but that is a large amount of it. Age as well, you get uh, more points the younger that you are. Uh, which makes sense if Canada's trying to, you know, get working working age immigrants. Yep. Um, and then I think they kind of switch around the threshold for we are in it's something along the lines of we are inviting over four hundred and twenty points at this time. So if they have like a lot of good applicants, they can kind of put the threshold up a bit. Okay. Um, but it's not it's not for everything. Like for example, they will still recruit from skilled trades outside of that. So if they really need bakers or lorry drivers or logistics specialists or something, they will recruit based on that without the point system or take less points for those people, for example. So it's a bit weird. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it worked out in the end. And then uh, from permanent residency, you have to, you have to be in in Canada for a certain amount of time to get permanent residence before you can apply. Um, And then citizenship again, it has to be about four years, five years, four and a half years or something before you can even apply. And from when I applied for citizenship to when I got it was about 14 months, which is was standard at the time I applied. It's now more like two years. Um, they have a gigantic backlog I of people imagine. who have applied to be citizens. And the, the pandemic threw everything a bit out of whack because for a while people weren't coming into the country, whether they had work permits or not. So, um, yeah, I I feel happy it's done. Um and uh, yeah, it was it was fairly stressful. I, I I didn't massively enjoy the process. Not because at any point they were going to say no, but at one point, for example, they had taken my passport to oh, really? issue um, my permanent residency card, and I had to go to a conference in the United States, and I had to like get my MP involved to try and oh, get my wow. passport back so I could travel for work. And they'd held on to it for I think two months longer than they were going to. Uh, <laughs> 
relatives. You know, I, I'm just I have I have like stress and trauma associated with Canadian immigration. So now <laughs> I'm a citizen. I will not anymore because I'm you know just as much of a citizen as anyone else. Right. So it's really nice to have. So they. Took, I hope that makes more sense now. I've explained a bit more. You know. They take your. They took your English passport. Mm-hmm. Okay. At and one point, they took my passport to issue me with my permanent residency card, I believe. Because both can, it off to Ottawa. can both be not be valid at the same time, or they just need it to do the doc. They, uh, they needed it to do the document, I think. It was something along those lines. It was a few years ago now, so I'm not entirely clear. Um, but yeah, now I am effectively grounded at least. I cannot go to the UK and come back to Canada right now. I might be able to get into the UK on my British passport, but you cannot hold two statuses in Canada at any one time. Okay. So I'm I'm officially a citizen. Right. But I don't have a passport yet because I had to wait for my certificate to come. Sure. And then I need to figure out how to get a passport, which may be waiting or mailing things or queuing outside Service Canada. So at the moment, I cannot get back into Canada because I have no valid proof that I'm a Canadian. <laughs> It's yeah. So I I never made any international travel plans right around now because I knew it would happen, but it it's it's a bit of a clunky system in my opinion. But anyway, I'm grateful to be here and um, yeah, it was a it was a nice ceremony and, and things. Do we have the? Uh, does Canada have the? If you marry a Canadian, you become a Canadian thing. Is that that we always hear? You can about? apply for a spousal um, a spousal. Uh, citizenship yes uh, but i will marry a canadian next year right um but i'm already a citizen so i don't need to passport marry <laughs> and um the other question i had is at any point was there the uh the cliched canadian history test tell us about our yes. country yes so what what, yes. what what kind of things did they ask you about well, um, so the a part, as part of the citizenship process, before you like when they checked all your documents and that you're valid, you know, you're valid to come in, have no criminal record, that kind of thing, they say, okay, you've been okay to do the Canadian citizenship test, and it's basically something like twenty questions. Most of them are multiple choice. I think all of them are multiple choice, actually. And But it can be up to five hundred questions. Oh my god! Like different questions on anything from like history in Quebec to uh, language, to geography, to where are the Canadian uh, mining headquarters. I remember that one. I believe believe it's in Saskatchewan. All right. Um, A couple of sporting questions. I think there's one about Wayne Gretzky. Obviously, I didn't get that one, unfortunately, (laughs) because I would have got that right. Um, (laughs) But I basically, the way I did it is I crammed for three days. Um, And then I did it and I got 18 out of 20. But some of the questions about particularly like the history of Quebec, you know, what date did this happen? 1784, this, that, and the other. I was like, wow, this is a lot. Right. Um, so, yeah, I must admit I crammed most of it in, and, and now most of it's gone, apart from the odd <laughs> kind of tip of random Canadian history or information you, about the like, mining headquarters, that kind of thing. Do they give you, like, a, a textbook or suggestions on where to start? Like, I can't – I can only imagine telling – being told, like, tomorrow you're going to do a test on a country – and it could be anything from the, their sporting heroes to, yeah, their mining headquarters. Like, how, where do you even begin? So it's a PDF. I can't remember how many pages it was. It's a, it's a PDF. But also now there are online, like, private companies, essentially, sure, who okay. have uh, got the question selection. Um, <laughs> and they've put it into, basically, you know, you get an app and you just do the questions. Right, okay. I did them for, like, five hours a day for three days. Right, and then tests. I did the test and I got 18 out of 20. It was, I, I, you know, I read the PDF once or twice, but mm-hmm. the number of times I would have had to read it to like fit the 50 or 60 dates in specifically, you know, specifically on the history questions just wasn't worth it. Um, and yeah, my, my tactic seemed to work pretty well. <laughs> so I got, I got a passing grade by a couple of points. So, so how long does it take in between, you know, you finish uh, the permanent residency and then you do the uh, citizenship process how long in between them telling you you're going to become a canadian citizen and the actual ceremony that you have to to mark the occasion that was about a month maybe five five six weeks at max um it was on november the 9th um so i think i had just over a month and at the moment and they have been for a couple of years they do them on zoom previously it would have been i think at city hall in toronto for me um and it's funny because they've still they assign you a number, which is your seat number for the ceremony, okay. but you're on Zoom. Right. And so I was like seat number 33, I think. And everybody, because there's, there's, you're on video, 
but they don't like people like put their names in things i guess due to you know confidentiality ish sure, yeah. um but you're in the zoom room with i think it was 77 people in mine and it was just really lovely to see and at one point um it's a bit weird right because you wait in the main zoom room and then you have to go into a breakout room to speak to an official okay and like show your documents to the screen and then you actually have to cut up your residency card with scissors in front of the screen in front of the official oh wow that's intense which, yeah it was a uh, was interesting um so i did that and then you go back into the main zoom room and then somebody would get like really you couldn't type like there was no typing or chat aloud but you could unmute yourself and talk so some uh, a woman who was you know in the ceremony he was like hi where's everyone from isn't it amazing and she was like super excited and i'm glad she did that because it was a bit of like a icebreaker because a lot sure. of folks were just kind of sitting there being like okay this is weird um <laughs> and she was asking everybody like which country they were from originally from and things and uh there must have been like 20 25 different home countries oh wow which was really really cool there were like families with small kids there were you know people who whose whose partners were there um my partner was sitting just out of shot, like laughing at me um, <laughs> because we had to say the citizenship oath, which is fine. Uh, we did it in English. And then the judge was like, OK, everybody, we're going to do it in French. And I was like, what? Oh, we're going to what? <laughs> One last test. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the judge was very much like, oh, it's, don't worry, just do your best. You're just going to repeat after me. So I'm sitting there like mumbling French <laughs> and I can't speak French. <laughs> and my partner is laughing her head off, like just out of shot. And I'm trying to concentrate because I'm on screen. You have to be sure, on screen yeah. for the oaths. And I'm trying to be respectful and I can't speak French. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really bad. Um and then you sing Oh Canada, and then a video of Justin Trudeau saying Welcome to Canada pops up. No. And it's just it's quite it's quite weird in many ways, but it was it was also a pretty nice experience. So yeah, and it was nice seeing all of the other people and kind of I, I wish it had been in person, but obviously yeah. it wasn't um wasn't reasonable for it to be, but it was just, you know, really nice to see everybody and some people were super emotional um about it because imagine it's a you know end of a very long journey for some of them um, some of the things they may have seen along the way where they for sure yeah from, exactly yeah. so it was just really nice to you know nice to be a part of I'm, I'm sad it wasn't in person but i think they did a really good job my favorite part of it actually was at the end they're like nobody takes any pictures of this entire ceremony right because we're trying to um make make sure people that have con you know it's confidential to a point like nobody needs to know about this right um so no taking pictures or screenshots during the ceremony but there was a particular point where the judge who had done the ceremony you could take a picture with the judge <laughs> and so the the person organizing the zoom meeting took everybody else off video and was like okay you've got 30 seconds to take a picture with the judge so like a so selfie guy, in front of your computer screen? Exactly. <laughs> this guy is full screen holding this smile for 30 seconds. And, peop and people are like holding him up. And I picked up the laptop and was like, yay. And it was <laughs> okay, that's Poor a little odd. It, it was a little odd, but I'll send Canadian you the picture. After. Yes. I'll send, it, send you the picture after the show because I think you'll think it's all. Yeah, I'm, I'm not lying about these things. It sounds like I am, but um, yeah, it, it, it was great. <laughs> Uh, that is kind of fun. I, I remember, uh, maybe I've told you this already, but for any of our listeners who, who didn't catch it, you know, um, I can remember being at an Ottawa Red Blacks game before the pandemic, mm. I believe. It must have been, obviously. And uh, they did a, um, at halftime, they had a ceremony there where people came out and took the oath on the field at halftime and then sang uh, the national anthem. And... The, you know, you've been to enough sporting events. They do a lot of things that people are fairly indifferent to during intermissions and half times. People mm -hmm. get up and go to the bathroom and go get beers. The cheer that came out of the crowd after these people took the oath was so big. It was so fun to mm -hmm. see, right? And it was, you know, the, the people down on the field returning, like waving to the crowd and stuff. Um, <laughs> it was it was really cool. And, and you know, it it's a little bit of a bummer that, you know, we've had to move these onto Zoom, yeah. but but the fact that it gets done and they do do their best to still keep it, you know, make it a, you know, a, a cool experience as best they can is, you know, like I said, the, the judge selfie thing seems a little cheesy, but it, <laughs> but it's fun, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's worth yeah. doing. Yeah. And there are a lot of people like who are obviously like 
um they had cameras pointed at them but not at the screen which you're allowed to do so they were obviously like you know facetiming friends and family from around the world for this moment and things which was super nice but yeah the red blacks thing sounds really really cool um it's just just one of those things i feel like i don't feel like i missed out uh, that much and yeah it just it it was nice it was nice in its own special way (laughs) how's the molson canadian treating you it doesn't really taste much, does it? It's it's fine. It, it really is yeah. just a, an offense. There's really nothing body. to say about no. it. Like, it's very unoffensive. But I do realize, like, when I drink this or, like, Coors Light, if I drink too many of them, and I generally, like, every now and again when I go to a Leafs game, you know, I drink the <laughs> yep. Coors Light or whatever it is, it gives me a headache after a while. Like, I don't <laughs> know what kind of crap is in it, but it really gives me a headache. And I, I, I don't go to leaf, leaf scans that frequently. So I forget by the time I ne- next go, sure, and then I yeah. have two of those massive sippy cups full of cause light. And I'm like, I hurt right now. Like, so <laughs> thank God I've only got one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I would, you know what? We'll talk about the Leafs in a little bit. I want to ask you as we often do to, to, for a little bit of, uh, expertise on, on what's happening in the province right now. There, there's, all kinds of reports every day of like schools being like half empty, like classrooms just with only like 10 kids in them. And I guess we have some sort of, I don't know what you'd want to call it, but like trio of factors all happening at the same time. It's a particular strand of the flu. And then it's this other respiratory thing. And of course, COVID still ripping around. Um, I guess we were, advised or suggested that we wear masks, but nothing was going to be enforced about that. Or uh, mm-hmm. what do you read into what's happening right now? How bad or, or good is it compared to, you know, other parts of the, the pandemic? What's your sort of, um, your approach when you go out and have to go shopping or see friends or whatever, what is your routine like in terms of its rigidness in comparison to other parts of the, the pandemic? Yeah, that's a good question. So I guess, first of all, masks. I have not changed my approach to masking in two and a bit years. Um, So the last time I changed anything when I masked was, I don't know, late 2020 when um, really good masks like N95 masks were no longer in short short supply for healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I bought some. I didn't buy any before that because I felt it was unethical to do so and folks needed them more than I did. But um, frankly, since then, every time I go in an indoor public environment, whether it be a pharmacy or a grocery store, uh, I wear my mask. Uh, If I go to pick up coffee, I wear my mask. I it's so second nature now and I don't feel like I miss out on anything by doing it that I haven't changed anything. Right. Um, and it did me pretty well for like two and a half years. I did have COVID a few weeks ago, uh, but I know exactly where I got it from. Uh, unfortunately it was a friend's baby, <laughs> a friend's seven month old baby. And we went round to his parents for dinner. Good, good friends of mine and my partner. Um, there was five of us, including the baby, right? Two households and uh, baby seemed fine. Uh, and the next day baby was not fine and uh, on uh, Monday after that both myself and my partner went down with uh, COVID so you know but until then you know there's nothing you can do about that a seven month old baby cannot tell you he's not feeling too good and you maybe shouldn't come for dinner right Um, and his parents he wasn't sick enough for his parents to notice yep so there's nothing you can do about that before that I mean I've done all sorts of things I've been to Leafs games um, even one preseason this year when COVID was pretty high, I traveled to the UK uh, and back and wandered around the UK when it was really kicking off its new summer wave earlier this year. Um, and I am a firm believer in masks, keeping people healthy and good quality masks. So for me, it's not a problem. Right. Like I don't, you know, sometimes now in Toronto, like, I feel like folks actually it's like ticked up again a little bit in the last week or two, but I am the only person sometimes wearing a mask in the pharmacy or the grocery store. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Right. I got to say like, nobody's ever said anything. Um, so masking, I think that's one thing I will continue to wear my mask. Um, in those environments, especially places like pharmacies, where frankly everybody should be wearing masks. Where in sick people it's go, stupid like not to. <laughs> yeah. So I was in the pharmacy yesterday. Um, this is a bit of a tangent. I went to the pharmacy yesterday. So we are out of rapid tests after we both had COVID because it last. It was very mild, but it lasted for two weeks each um, before we tested negative. 
So we're out of rapid tests and I think they're probably going to stop providing them for free at some point soon. So popped into shoppers on the way home and, and I was standing at the counter and I waited till my turn and I asked the uh, cashier, I was like, hey, do you have any uh, COVID rapid tests? And the woman behind, so I'm wearing a mask, mm -hmm. the woman behind me in line jumps, literally jumps and walks back like two <laughs> or three meters. She's not wearing a mask. Right. And I'm like, so you care or you don't care? Yeah. What's like, the story you, here? <laughs> what's the story there? Like, I, it, you know, if you truly care, like you've got to assume that in pharmacies, you're going to be there with sick people yep. picking up COVID tests, picking up medication for themselves or their kids or whatever it may be. But yeah, you have to actually have somebody like ask for a pack of tests in front of you to think it's, a, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. But it was quite funny. I shot her a look and my first thought was to tell her I didn't have COVID. And then I just decided not no, to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Um, more broadly, the province at the moment, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I said, uh, and this is a bit dark really, but very early on in the pandemic, when we were figuring out what COVID did and who died from it. And I said this, and I don't want it to come off wrongly, but I said, it is a small mercy that it is just killing very old people. And I know that can be misconstrued. Right. And I'm not saying that seniors and, and older folks are dispensable at all. Right. I'm just saying viruses often and like diseases like this normally or can kill the very old and the very young. Right. So we're talking like babies. And yep. it didn't seem to be doing anything to children, really. Um, and when this hit and it's not just COVID it's flu it's RSV that's that are hospitalizing children I was like why do we not care more about this this is like my greatest fear for the pan like the pandemic in some abstract way whether it be it's making kids more susceptible to childhood infections like RSV or flu it, like why don't we care more yeah. why isn't everybody going all right yeah sure we'll mask what up do we're we good. have to do to help our kids yeah. like, what do we have to do and you're ending up with situations where like the ceo of cheo and and, and sick kids and people like that are like begging on the internet yes for something to be done and i just to be honest like a couple of weeks ago when this was really starting to get bad i was i yeah, had a little cry and a, a like freak out to my partner and i'm like i don't understand the inaction i don't understand like, why are we so apathetic towards this now? So I must say my position is like utter frustration. Right. Um, masks are not the be all and end all. I will say that like they definitely help. But, you know, we need to like focus on things like ventilation in places like schools. And we've had two and a half years to do that. And it hasn't been done. No. Like, you cannot keep the windows open in classrooms in Toronto or Ottawa or wherever it is in midwinter. It's just not warm enough. So why haven't we put HEPA filters in every single classroom? To clean the air. So, yeah, as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm very irate about it. <laughs> it's just, I don't know why or how we can be so apathetic to children becoming seriously ill and potentially dying. I don't know whether there have been confirmed deaths, but, you know, the chair the other day was said, well, we had to resuscitate. Was it seven kids in two days? Yeah. This is not normal. Um, so, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm vexed so and frustrated. Are, are kids being hit disproportionately? right now disproportionately compared to 20 and 30 year olds or is it just because early on it didn't seem to be affecting kids and now it is like is is it because they're in school classrooms a percentage of kids sick with these things right now match the percentage of adults sick with these things right now or is it much higher in children so that's a good question and so RSV, I believe, and I, don't quote me on this because I'm not an infectious diseases expert, is more a disease of childhood. Okay. Um, it's normally mild for most children, but some children go down with it pretty nastily. Oh, and they always do. But what we're seeing now is a lot of children going down, or more than we would expect, way more than we would expect, having RSV, which is a fairly common childhood infection, I believe. Mm -hmm. But they're getting really sick. And that's concerning. And just to point out, as far as I understand, the, the kids who are in hospitals don't all have COVID. Right. Uh, they have a combination of COVID and flu and RSV and sometimes uh, more than one of them at once, um, from my understanding. So um, there are a couple of theories, and I'll present them as theories because mm -hmm. that, that's what they are, as to why this is happening. So one that you might have heard of is uh, this theory of immunity debt, which is that children have not been exposed to uh, that many pathogens over the last few years in comparison to normal years because there have been 
some lockdowns, some limitations of contacts and, you know, they're not running around putting thing. things in their mouth in a kindergarten classroom and well uh, yeah in, in some cases no so that's one theory and um i don't massively subscribe to that theory being the reason and again i want to point out i'm not an infectious diseases mm-hmm. expert most of the stuff that i kind of know is from on this topic at least is what i've read from other people um so everybody who i know who's an immunologist pretty much says this is rubbish and the thing is, we've got, for example, babies who have been fairly recently born. A lot of the, the kids in hospital are young, young kids who they've been born in the last sort of six months or so when we haven't really had that many pandemic restrictions. Right. And so, you know, how, how does that work? Like, what does what does it matter that schools were locked down for three months in, in 2020 or however long it was? Mm-hmm. What Like, they weren't even born yet. Right. Like, what, what's going on there? They haven't had um, those chances to those chances right. taken away from them to socialize exactly and i believe in canada we did have a decent amount of rsv last year as well okay so i again i'm kind of talking about things that i'm not an expert in but i have seen so mm-hmm. um I, I don't really subscribe to that and everybody who i know who i would consider an expert thinks it's nonsense i'll leave it at that okay. um the other theory is that covid19 infections leave people immunocompromised uh viruses can do this measles the measles virus for example is well known if uh, you know most kids most people are vaccinated now but for those who do get it it's well known for leaving uh, people susceptible to further infections for a period of time afterwards i don't know how long so we have a fairly considerable amount of evidence in adults who have recovered from covid19 that they are immunocompromised for quite a time afterwards we're talking months potentially longer um now there's not that much evidence in children yet it will come, but the theory that these most of these many of these kids who ha- are in hospital with RSV or flu or, or COVID have had a previous COVID infection, which has affected their ability to fight off the subsequent infection with something like RSV, which should not, you know, often should not be a serious thing for most kids. To me, is much more persuasive. They've been because your system's been damaged by COVID and is now letting in other. Yeah. In adults, there is evidence, uh, like ample evidence of that, I would say, in, in quite a number of people. Um, in children, we don't really have that evidence yet. And we do know that children traditionally, you know, typically respond better, at least acutely to COVID than older adults. Um, but, you know, we've got all sorts of things going on then that you have to kind of factor in. A lot of kids in this province are not vaccinated still. Yeah. Or if they are vaccinated, they haven't had a booster or da-da-da-da-da. So, but if you think about RSV last season, and this is a speculation, so we had RSV last season, but I would say that kids in Ontario last year had a lot of virtual school and yes. things still. They still hadn't really been a sort of, you know, infected in a widespread way. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of speculation at the moment. In, in my opinion, the immunity debt thing is not got a lot of um, kind of evidence or even decent, you know, speculation based on evidence around it. And the more kind of elephant in the room obvious thing is that a lot of kids in Ontario have had COVID now. Can and you... this, we know in adults, this causes immunocompromisation. And now they're going down hard with other childhood infections. To me, it uh, that would seem to be the reason, but there's, there's no clear conclusion yet. So can you take me back then to the six-month-old baby is it that more of those have also had, because in theory, if you're only six months old, you're less likely to have had these other, like to have had COVID, but would more of these babies also somewhere in those six months have tested positive And that's why they're now struggling to. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be kind of speculation building on speculation. Yes. I'm not entirely sure what I understand from Cho and sick kids and places like you know that and McMaster Children's is that a lot of the kids who are in intensive care and having trouble trouble breathing are quite young right so it's not like they didn't go to school in 2020 for three months and you know that's what or sure. six months or whatever it was and that's what the immunity debt folks would say 
oh well that's the reason they literally weren't alive then yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and there's there's other kind of variables which some people are trying to build into it and being like well the mother mother hadn't been exposed because of lockdowns and so there's because you can transfer antibodies through like breast milk and okay. and, and the mother's body can go into the kid it, it all gets very like muddy the right. further away you go from what evidence base we have. Um, so I guess I should just leave it by saying that in adults, we know that COVID-19 infections, even mild ones, can cause people to become essentially immunocompromised for a period of time. We don't exactly know the mechanism behind that yet or why or when it recovers, if it recovers. Um, putting that together with now kids are obviously getting sicker in larger numbers than they should right. on any typical season. And we know a lot of kids in the province have had COVID recently. I would suggest that you end up with a more plausible theory and okay. it's not immunity debt, it's COVID. Um, will you be, uh, is it still, it's, I guess sort of my thought on this, and obviously we've talked before, I'm immunocompromised, I've taken more precautions <laughs> than, than most people. And you've been good enough to help me in, in some situations with that. Even I sit here now, I'm not suggesting things should be closed anymore. It's some like that, that's out of the barn. We're, we're back to, but the mask thing makes sense to me. Go to your hockey game, go for your stores or whatever you want to do, but throw on a mask. It's really not that inconvenient, but how Mm -hmm. many precautions should we be taking at things like, uh, you know, Christmas is coming up again. Will you be keeping it to a small group or are we just sort of past that now? And it, it is what it is. So I, it's it's a really good question. So, for example, my own experience. So I had COVID. I tested positive for two weeks and I tested negative last weekend. Not this weekend, got just gone the one before. Mm-hmm. And I uh, and my partner, for the first time in a long time, went out and did a couple of indoor dining things. Uh, still in very quiet places, right? There were six people in the restaurant when we went there. Mm-hmm. The other one was this big, like, warehouse-style place where you're nowhere near anyone anyway. Um that's kind of where I'm at, am at the moment with regards to I probably got a chunk of immunity from having a recent infection. Right. It not guaranteed because there's multiple variants now surfing sure. in Ontario. I don't know whether one will protect me against the other. I would assume at least partly. But you know, and I don't know how long it will last. But we're trying to like, you know, live a little based on the fact that we did get it despite our best efforts mm-hmm. and they're uh, doing stuff. But you will not catch me like in a nightclub <laughs> or a gig you know, with a 1, thousand, fifteen hundred people. Right. Or if I go to a Leafs game, which I might, I don't know. We'll see how they do. Um, <laughs> I will wear an N95 mask because I don't, I don't want COVID again. I have no idea how long I've got maybe as a, you know, sort of immunity now with regards to COVID. Mm-hmm. But, you know, also thinking about does COVID make everybody immunocompromised afterwards? I don't want to go down with the flu. Right. Good grief. I don't want to get, I can't, you know, I can't go into work if I've got some kind of respiratory disease, whether it be a cold or flu. So, yeah, I have really no interest in like being sick. I mean, with regards to Christmas, I think uh, I don't, I'm going to my partner's family. I don't think the gathering is huge. I think generally speaking, you got to just trust people to, you know, not come and make you sick. Right. Um, it's easier said than done in some in some contexts. But yeah, I, I'm still going to be cautious. Um, for me, for example, putting on a mask when I go into a pharmacy is absolutely no big deal. I will go into a pharmacy occasionally to buy something. Um, I am happily going to put my N95 mask on to protect me from the sick people, understandably going to buy cold meds and stuff. Right. So I, I think I'm, I'm still on this sort of measured approach. Um, I don't, I don't want to do that again. It was pretty mentally unpleasant just to be in my house for like 13 days. Sure. <laughs> um, so I have no interest in, in, in getting sick and throwing myself off uh, again. And I will make sensible precautions to do so uh, to, to, to protect myself, um, especially while we've now got, you know, three, three viruses circulating now. It's not even just one and three different COVID variants. So, you know, we're diversifying a bit, I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if it's, we're in a weird spot here, but, uh, let's lighten things up a little. Let's talk about yeah, the Leafs. Let's, let's do it. Let's, uh, look, they sit here for the good, uh, for the sake of our good listener, we'll let them know we're, uh, we're speaking right now just before the Monday night game against the Islanders. <laughs> uh, and most of you won't hear it until after that. So if anything sounds a little out of date, that might be why, but let's start with Matt Murray, who, uh, <laughs> who returned last week and, uh, you know, had his in his first three starts back has 
been pretty good, to be honest with you. I think he was somebody we were all kind of concerned about coming into the season. Uh, it's an extremely small sample size, but um, I, I don't. To me, he's looked all right. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I was a little concerned, as as were many people when in the off season when they were you know signing signing Samsonov and um, and Murray, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I think I think a few things have happened. So one that Matt Murray obviously has. Um, been good when he's played. The injury is a little concerning yeah. so early on in the season. You've got to hope that's just a fluke and he is, in fact, not super injury prone. Um, but I think Samsonov as well is, isn't he like one of the, the league's best goaltenders? He's been moment, great. Yeah, sense. his numbers are looking yeah, top Yeah, so 10. he was great as well. And I think that's the kind of ideal situation, really. When they're both healthy, you have two people kind of, you know, trying to fight it out to be number one. Um, so I'm pleasantly surprised by by both of them. Um, I think there's no reason to believe that Samsonov won't recover fully. I don't think he's injury prone in particular, but Murray, I don't know, Murray is, when he's on his game, is technically brilliant. I've been like trying to watch him a little bit, like, you know, behind the play and stuff. Yeah. And he's so smooth, like with his movements and, you know, being in the right place at the mm-hmm. right time and how he moves is like... I would. I'm not, I'm not an expert on goalies, but like it's definitely different from a lot of goalies. He's like textbook. Yeah, kind of I things. think that's true. I think it's it's one of those things that maybe as big of a concern when they signed him wasn't so much that he was bad. It was would he ever play? And if he was healthy, right. he might be good enough. He might be fine. Um, but he was going to have to stay healthy. So he comes in, he plays one game, and then he gets hurt of practice. You're like, oh, here we go. And so as we sit here now, I think Schalgren is starting on Monday night to give uh, Murray a bit of a rest here, but in in his short time back, he looks like he's fine. And yet every game for the foreseeable future, I envision, oh God, like, is that the kick save that, you know, tears a hip or a groin or something like that. Right. And so we'll have to wait and see. Um, they've been a little less, I don't know, dynamic. Up front, like mm-hmm. I, I don't love the bottom six forward mix the way it is right now. Mm-mm. I'd love to see Robertson. You and I both thought after that two goal game, all right, the kid's arrived. He's uh, he's here now. Yeah. He has that big winner against Dallas, and he doesn't hasn't really looked very good at any time since then. Uh, what do you make of of the forward group right now? And are you are you worried about them? <laughs> yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I think. I agree with you that dynamic is the exact right word. Like they don't look very dynamic. So last year when the Matthews line was flying, Mm -hmm. it was just beautiful to watch. Like I would sit there and go like multiple times a game, whether they scored or not, just because it was, they were so in tune. It was working so well. And you'd be like, this is, this is a beautiful hockey line, (laughs) like doing what they're doing, you know, bunting on the four check and stuff and putting in sometimes stupid hits, but you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, And when that didn't happen, like when, you know, you start the season and that's not really happening, you're like, but what's changed? Same players. Yeah. Like Matthews isn't scoring. Bunting doesn't look anywhere near as good as he did last year. Yeah. Like what the heck is going on? And like, and Marner, so Marner is like way over, is over a point a game, right? So it's almost like a quiet, he's still being a really good hockey player Yep. with occasional glimpses of the flair that you know him for, but it's not the same. It's weird, right? Like everything just looks a bit off and a bit weird. Yeah. Um, and then obviously like Tavares has had a great start to the season. Nylander's had a very good start to the season. And I, I don't know whether I, I can't remember whether I texted you or not, but I was at one of the least preseason games and I watched Nylander and I was like, he's going to have a career season. Nice. Like he just looks different. Yeah. He's just in there with like, you know, he normally has a lot of quiet confidence, but he almost had a bit more swagger. And I was like, William Nylander is going to have an amazing (laughs) season. And that so far has, you know, been pretty, uh, Pretty on pretty, the nose. Yeah, good. But yeah, I think I think an interesting thing to look at is their overtime, you know, their three on three performances. Yep. And normally you put, was it Riley, Matthews, and Marner against um any team in overtime, and you'd be like, You've got a very good shot here. Mm-hmm. Whenever they go to overtime, I'm like, this is gonna be a disaster. <laughs> they just they're not, you know, it's what been what three now that they've lost four. on the line. Four. Yeah. And why with with the talent that the Leafs have, why is why? <laughs> like what's going on? And I think that almost like accentuates their struggles they've lost the flair yeah and that's Um, it like it it, like there are little things you look at and you go Matthew's shooting percentage is incredibly low and it'll rebound mm -hmm. and he'll be fine but at the same time he's not even getting those great chances where you'd go oh you know next time he'll score that just based on the odds he's kind of shooting from further out 
Um, yeah, he and Marner weren't playing off each other quite as nicely. I think I, I'm sure they won't stick with it because those guys want to play with each other, but I've, I've, yeah, in the yeah, last yeah. couple of games, I've liked Matthews with Nylander and Marner with For Tavares. Sure. It's, it seems to have gotten everybody's attention and gotten them going a little bit, but there's just something right. about the group that, you know, it's, it's, we're a quarter of the way through the season now, basically. Um, it's not, you know, all those times, well, it's still early. They'll work it out. It's not that early, right? Like we are a quarter no, of the no, way through and, and you start to look at, you know, the depth guys a little bit. Like I don't, Yarn Croak has not really looked comfortable yet. Zach Aston Reese isn't going to score. Dennis Mulgan looks surprisingly good for a guy making yep. 800 grand. And Kempf is doing really well. Yep. And so there are some pieces down there, but it would really like I, Kerfoot's a guy that I, I don't know. He's a good player and he's like a Swiss army knife. They like to use him all over the place, but I haven't, I think I'm done watching him play with, with Tavares or Matthews, right? Like they need to, yeah, I think, yeah. go find a top six winger somehow and, yeah, and let Kerfoot be like a third line guy. And then that makes your bottom six a little more dangerous. There's just, right. there's, it seems like there's this one piece that's not there. And it, it's almost like I wouldn't have given Ilya Mikheyev the money that Vancouver did, but that might mm. be the piece that you're looking back mm-hmm. going, we're missing, right? The speed that he brought and the breakaway ability on the PK and these sorts of things. Like he was involved in a Zach, lot of Zach things. Hyman, Zach Hyman and those kind of players. Yep. Like, again, you can't pay him. And that was, it was very reasonable to let him go. Um, but you do but miss them. Yeah, they're, de- they're definitely missing something. Yeah. Um, I don't exactly know what it is. And they're, they're trying things, right? So they bought Nick Robertson up for a bit. He... I like him. He's a super shifty skilled player, but yeah. he does get bullied off the puck an awful lot, yep. like muscled off the puck. And I'm he's like 21, right? Like, yep. I, yeah, I'm assuming he can get more muscle and things, but that might just not be his jam. Mm-hmm. So he's got to figure out a niche for himself. And I don't know where it is. I agree he needs minutes, so you can't just dump him on the fourth line. It's not going to work. They tried that last season and yeah. he didn't get anywhere. So I know what you're doing. Then they're trying like Pontus Holmberg as third line center, who's looked fine. Mm-hmm. And I like them rotating the, you know, the sure, depth. Give it a look. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's not, I agree with you. It's not really jamming. And I don't know. Like, the, the one it, thing it's about Robertson, so it, just before we move off that, is I mm-hmm. think he, I would have liked to have seen just quickly, because the mix with him, Tavares, and Nylander didn't seem great. And it's just probably because no. Nylander also doesn't necessarily battle particularly hard along the boards or the corner or whatever. But Marner playing with Tavares and Robertson. I'd like to get a look at that for a couple of games just because now you have that premium setup guy and Robertson's biggest tool is his shot, right? And he can get open. He Mm -hmm. can find space that way. Maybe that's a way to get Robertson going a little bit and feeling it, finding his spots, getting his confidence back. I wouldn't mind getting a look at that. And if you're not going to do it, they have to send him down. They can't just leave him in the press box. You're being scratched every night. He's got to be playing. But before they do, I wouldn't mind... You know, as long as they're doing this Tavares and Marner thing with, and then Nylander and Matthews, get Robertson in there on the Marner-Tavares line and see if that clicks a little better than it did with Nylander. I, I just think there might be something there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I just think at the moment, and the other thing I was going to say is the Leafs aren't scoring that many goals, no. obviously, last game. They did, but they're it's weird. They're really low-scoring games, generally, yep. for the Leafs, who are used to just like out, out, out-goaling everybody, right? Like yep. They win things 5-3, 5-4. Like, they've scored really low things, so I don't think there's that much room for error to do things like that. Well, but that's, right? the, uh, you, but that's the, the, the other side of the coin, right, is maybe Robertson helps you. I, yeah, I, I get you, scores, I get you, but yeah. I'm just saying it, they're winning like one goal games and, and, and that kind of thing, and they're not scoring that many. Yeah. And so you neutralize your second line and it doesn't work. Like how long can you reasonably do it for? Not right. very long in a game when they, you know, you want to be doing that against an opponent which they're going to absolutely like flush out. Right. And you could even like start with something else and then give them a three goal lead and then switch that in, <laughs> see if it you know helps. And these are like, obviously I, I would love to see this happen, but it probably won't. But I'm just, I'm just saying at the moment they're winning by such tight margins. No, it's true. Yeah. And do you want to, you know, you want to miss, miss, I don't know. I, I agree with you, but I both kind of see why it's, it's not happening. Um, but on the other hand, so one person I would like to speak highly of is Jordy Ben. Yeah. He's so all right. I, I thought nothing of that signing. I was like, sure. Depth guy, fine, yep. whatever. But in some ways, I'm watching him, and he's just doing his job, mm-hmm. just doing his job, and scored a goal, which is, is not his job, but <laughs> great to you know kind of contribute occasionally. But mostly, he just does his job. He makes the plays. He does his job, and I'm like, God, 
we just need we need one of these like top six winners. They just do their job. They don't have to be flashy. They don't have to be a minor. <laughs> it no. just needs to do their job. You see what I mean? Yeah. Just like where's that guy for the 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 one of the top two lines? Where where is he? I think they hoped that might be Yarncroke, right? Who's not a I don't know, he's not like a 30 goal scorer or anything, but he, he's reasonably no. responsible and he knows where to go and he knows how to get the puck out and, you know, these sorts of things. I think they hoped it would be him and they've tried him a couple of times with Tavares and that hasn't worked. Um, I don't remember, I don't think they've tried him much with Matthews, uh, but no, it just, it, it, that really hasn't panned out yet. And, and maybe it was too high. Like maybe he is more of a third line guy and that's, that's okay. Um, but you're right. Like you just need somebody who kind of makes those smart plays, gets it in, gets, and if the, the beautiful passing plays aren't there for your big stars, at least he'll be kind of, you know, go into the corner and get it and then kind of go to the front of the net and, and just kind of do those little things that maybe they're missing a little bit right now. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't say I'm worried. Like I still think they're comfortably a playoff team, but I don't think they're as good as last year. I, I don't think this group is quite as good as last year's group. No, I agree. Um, I, I think they, oh, I don't know. So I would say the D is in some way better, which may be a strange thing to yeah. say, but like, so right. You've got two, you've got two players in Lilligren and Sandin who are making mistakes because they're young players. Yeah. And occasionally, like the other day, that leads directly to a Sydney Crosby goal. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I, I looked at that, I was like, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you have to accept that that's going to happen. But I think the ceiling for both of them is very high. Um, and I was, you know, really, Sandin, I think they always knew was going to be really good. And he's had a bit of a slow start. He's struggling. But yeah. Lilligren, you know, putting in with Giordano next, last year was amazing. It was. I think it's given him all the confidence in the world. He knows where to be. He's done really well. So I think when TJ Brody's back, like, and if they get a replacement for Muzzin, which seems likely, mm-hmm. it's sad, but like, it seems likely, I think the D is going to be better than last year. That's, that's entirely possible. And the, the D is underappreciated in Toronto for, for like a decade from like, I don't know, the mid 2000s to like, 2017 or 18 when Ron Hainsey was on your top pair. Like the D was. Yeah, I was there woefully, just about for that. <laughs> yeah, was woefully bad. And it yeah. it just set in as something that when you think about Toronto, t- people think bad defense. And it's just not accurate anymore. Last year they were no. top 10 in almost every defensive metric, top five in some. Um, yeah. The defense has been fine. You're right. And, and if they do go out and replace Muzzin with a reasonable piece, you know, the D I don't think will be problem right but I just look at that forward group and there's just it's just missing a little punch right even you know Kasha was hurt a lot last year but when he played he was a nice fit and a really good depth piece on like your third line Mikheyev was putting in 20-25 goals and you let both of those pieces walk which you had to do but it's harder Mm -hmm. and harder to fill those spots every year with these bets and these gambles they don't all pan out like Bunting did and even this year we talked Bunting isn't the same Bunting as he was last year yet. Right. But so if the, if you're worried about the goaltending being held together by pipe cleaners and, and, you know, scotch tape and the forwards aren't as dynamic as they're supposed to be, you know, they're in a little bit of trouble. I think they'll make it, but I I don't know if they're quite as good. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I wonder, I do wonder whether, so Jordy Ben's pretty good. Um, the rest of the D is, you know, Justin Hall, Justin Hall gets a lot of shite. Um, and he, does not always deserve it. No. And he, at times this season, has absolutely deserved it. But, yep. you know, he seems to have steadied the ship a little bit. So, you know, if, if we're saying he's in the top six, fine. And Jordy Ben's in the top six, fine. Um, they could use Muzzin's money to go after a pretty good winger. It's true. They could use Muzzin's money and they could potentially, like, trade Kerfoot with maybe a little salary retained yep. to get rid of cap space. And they could go after a really good winger. I think that would be the logical thing to do. Um, but then you do leave your D a little, like, fine. But you got to expect Sandine and Lilligren will get better. Yeah, I think so, you're, you need them to take that step, right, and and show that... Yeah, I think that they're doing it. Sandine, obviously, is not... I think he very enti- he's entitled to hold out for a better contract, which he didn't end up getting. Right. But, you know, he's entitled to do that. That's, sure. that's, that's between him and his agent. But obviously has struggled a little bit more than maybe he would have done just, you know, being with the team and doing all the preseason stuff. So hopefully he'll like turn it around soon. Um, and he's, he's fine. Like he's okay. Just not, not the sort of. That's young, right. Like he, he's. Whippersnapper as we saw last season <laughs> quite yet. He's a perfectly capable right now, third pair defense. You yeah, would like to see sure. him take a step up 
and become a top four. He hasn't done it yet. Doesn't mean he won't, but he hasn't done he will. it yet. He will. And, right. I have confidence. I like that. Um, <laughs> Vicky, I always appreciate you making some time and, uh, I was like really interested in the whole, what it takes to, to become a Canadian. Cause for most of us, <laughs> yeah, I could you're, tell. you're just, well, you're just born here and it just, you don't have to, there's no test. There's no $300, you know, language test. There's no, oh God, it costs stuff. thousands overall. Oh my God. It costs thousands and thousands of dollars. When you so, wonder how many of people that's keeping out the, the cost of doing it, right? Like stopping quite, from this. Yeah. Quite a few. I have a friend who, who used to live here. She was on a work permit and she literally couldn't afford the permanent residency process. My goodness. So she went back to the UK. Like it really does happen. Um, and it's a real shame. Um, it, yeah. I, I, and there's also other issues with, like, uh, you probably heard all about this, folks coming over here with incredible, like, qualifications, and then they're the, the way to, like, get them qualified in Canada to practice as, you know, clinicians or whatever is so slow and faffy. We, like, lose out on all this talent. It's uh, it's definitely an issue. Uh, last thing for you then, because Canada is about to uh, make its, its heralded or much heralded return to the World Cup mm. back at home for you. Uh, where you uh, you grew up before becoming a Canadian citizen. What's happening over there right now during the World Cup? Is any work getting done with midday games being a thing? Is Does the country largely shut down? How crazy does does the UK go for uh, for the World Cup? So I guess, I mean, so you've got England and Wales from, yeah. from the UK in, in there. And I think, I mean, the time difference, as far as I'm aware, is reasonably favorable for some of the games not the others. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me think the England match this morning was on at 8am. So that would be one o'clock in the afternoon in the UK. So not ideal if you're at work. Right. Um, in- England in particular is very into its football. Always has been. I remember when I was a kid, we used to have like watch parties at school and things. So we'd be like out of lessons to watch, but particularly after their performance last, was it last year in the Euros, mm-hmm. Uh, get into the final. I think expectations are almost like at an all-time high uh, now. So yeah, a World Cup fever. I'm pretty sure will be uh, you know very very high. You know very high expectations and everything going on in in the UK for sure. Who will you be rooting for? Oh, now that's a good question. Yes. So I gotta say, and I would be remiss not to like I do have a lot of objections to this World Cup. Yeah, of course. Um, as a as a gay woman, it's um it's pretty hard to support in some ways. And again, this is not about the players. Mm-hmm. It's about FIFA and uh, football associations and things. And you know, just today, for example, we saw a, there was a bunch of European countries who were going to wear like essentially what is a gay pride armband to the games. And then I'm glad you brought that up because on the show on Monday, I was praising those countries and those captains for standing up for FIFA. And then they didn't. So with England at least, and I I think Wales did did the same kind of back down. So they were like, right, we're going to be fine. Never mind. And then FIFA, uh, FIFA or World Cup, I guess it's FIFA were like, we're going to yellow card everyone who wears one or the captain. I don't know which one it was. And they were like, back down immediately. Yes. And I was like, especially with England playing Iran. Now, Iran are not a terrible team, but, you know, England beat them, what, 6 2. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can't, you can't like just get a yellow card. I, I don't know. It yeah. just, it just, it was instant capitulation. And I'm like, right. Especially after how fully chested they were in saying, we're, we're doing this. They're not going to yeah. make us back down. We'll pay the fines. And then as soon as game day rolls around, like, ah, screw it. And just bail. Yeah. They're like, oh, a yellow card. No, I can't possibly do that. Yeah. But then you saw, I don't know whether you saw, but with Iran today in the press conference before the game, the captain of Iran basically said, we're, we stand with the women of Iran. Yep. And we, uh, you know, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but basically it was like we sympathized with the people who have been imprisoned and then they didn't sing the national anthem. Yeah, that was... Now that, that is something which could get them in serious trouble. And I mean, I don't, ex- I, I won't speculate, but like, you know, threats to their jobs home, or safety. Yes. <sighs> bad, yeah. bad, bad thing. So that's something where they could actually get serious consequences for their activism. And they did it. And England, and I don't know about the rest of the countries who said they'd do it. Germany and Denmark, I'm not sure. They, they, they all, said they would do it. I'm they not sure if they're down. going to. They all bowed down? Great. All seven of them. And so with, with actually no real consequences, like a yellow card, yes, I understand that has potential consequences for your game, but it has no consequences for your safety right. or your career or your job or anything like that. And they just all went, okay, no, bye. It's just, you know, it's a question of why are you bothering? It's true. 
it's pitiful. Yeah. So so anyway, I yeah, I, who will I be supporting? That's a good question. Um, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I kind of watched some of the games today because I was or had them on in the background because I was working from home. Uh, I am annoyed by the whole thing, mm-hmm. um, the homophobia, the death of the migrant workers who built the stadiums, the general terrible human rights record of Qatar and and these things. Um, however, I am I do understand it's not the fault of the players going to the uh, World Cup. I think it would be great if Canada like scored some goals or any or things. Sure. Uh, they're playing Belgium tomorrow. If they don't get hammered, it will be one of the biggest World Cup upsets I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, I, I have friends here, like, and I went to see one of I think it was a friendly or a qualifier or something in Toronto. I've, I've seen the Canadian Men's World Cup team play. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, and I, maybe I'll get flamed for this. I don't know. Uh, I would say it's like watching a, um, a championship team in the UK. Oh no! So not the prim- not a Premier yeah. Division team, yeah, a championship too. team. I, you know, it's it. They are they're just not on the level, with obvious exceptions of individual players like Alfonso Davies, who's incredible. But they're, as a team, you know, they're going to play Belgium tomorrow, right? And I would love to Number see them two in the sport. world. Yeah, I would love to. Who? Yeah, they might. I think Belgium might win it. Like, I do think they they could win it. Um, I would love to see them score a goal or two and not get up, like really badly upset. Okay. <laughs> that's that's my thing for Canada. All right, but it's great that they're there. It's really great that they're there. Obviously, they've been playing second fiddle to the women's team for several that's right. several years, and um, so it's great to see them. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't rate their chances. I saw Wales play today. I don't really rate their chances. Just a show quarter Welsh, so I've almost kind of got three teams now. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll I'll be sort of casually following. I think, but you know, the issues around this World Cup. Um, and the fact that it's the time difference just makes it uh, difficult in, in many ways to follow the games is, is going to make me not be as interested as I was for the Euros last year, for example. I think that's fair. And uh, obviously, you know, lots of Canadians excited to see that the team is there. But yeah, it's it's a big, scary world once you get outside of CONCACAF and, and you see some of the European monsters that are, uh, that are waiting yeah, for you out there. It's, uh, it could. Yeah, when you... When you're in a situation where maybe one of your players would make the opposing team, right? You're you're in a bit of trouble. <laughs> well, this is it. Like we see this all the time with the shoe on the other foot. Like when the World Juniors or the World Hockey Championships roll around, right? And we're all pumped to watch Canada just beat the crap out of Latvia or something. And then guess what? You're about to play the part of Latvia here for a couple of days. <laughs> it could be the, the funniest. The funniest thing I've seen actually with yeah, I agree with you completely. It's you know. Maybe it's a good good thing for Canadians to experience after, you know, numerous successes and numerous sports recently. Um, But the funniest thing I've seen about World Cup coverage recently was they did a um, interview with, is it John Herdman, the the coach for the Canadian men's team? So he is from the northeast of England and he speaks with a very clear accent from Mm -hmm. the northeast of England. And he's doing a interview with, I think, Bruce, Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star about the team, about his history, about his upbringing, how he got into like football management and things like that. And there's one sentence where he's uh, talking about himself, but he's saying uh, nobody really took a chance on us. Now, um, us is like Northeast speech for me. Oh. Um, So it's just a figure of speech. It's like an accent thing. It's like a, um, you know, it's just the way people speak in the Northeast. But the the hilarious thing about it is this quote, this quote in the Toronto Star. And it ends by, you know, Herdman saying, you know, nobody really gave us a chance. Nobody thought this could, you know, be anything, that kind of thing. And and the quote ends with uh, Seth Herdman, who often speaks of himself in the plural. And I'm like, no, that's not it. (laughs) He's not referring to himself in a plural. It's a figure of speech. Which means me right. in Northeast speech. So I like put that on Facebook this morning for like all my friends from the Northeast because I lived in Newcastle for like 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's a controversial World Cup, but, uh, you know, it's, we've been, seen some controversial Olympics lately in places like Beijing. We had the World Cup in Russia. It really at this point seems like these big events are almost like going to be held exclusively in places where mm-hmm. voters don't matter and money speaks. So uh, mm-hmm. I think I'll be holding my nose a bit on Wednesday afternoon, but I will be, I, I want to see how they do and, it, you know, get in there against Belgium and muck it up. And, yeah, you can't get a bigger test really. No. So it'll be interesting. Uh, Vig, I really appreciate your time and you clear, clarifying a couple things for us, talking me through the... Uh, the whole immigration process to get into this country. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all interesting. And I always appreciate you making some time for us. 
Yeah, this was fun. Thanks, Matt. Till next time. We will uh, wind things down here. Thank you all for checking out this episode of the Talk and Audio Podcast. We'll see you all next time. I am unhappy with the confusing and at times confrontational nature of that meeting. I wanted it to go better. I wanted it to go better!